0: Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced yesterday that the Senate will return to work starting on Monday. We'll modify routines in ways that are smart and safe, but we'll honor our constitutional duty to the American people and conduct critical business in person here in Washington. If doctors and nurses and healthcare care workers and truck drivers and grocery store workers and many other brave Americans are showing up uh, for work and doing their duty, the least we can do is come back to work. But as lawmakers are preparing to return to Washington, concerns about their health and safety on Capitol Hill remain as they gear up for yet another battle over the next round of coronavirus funding a bill that is now likely to have money for desperate state and local governments on the line. Joining me now to discuss all of that as the Senate prepares to reconvene is Republican Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. He is also, in addition to being United States Senator, a medical doctor. I should note, Senator Cassidy and I recorded our conversation just moments before House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer reversed plans to bring the House of Representatives back to work next week. The Senate still plans on coming to work next week. The House is no longer going to be back in session. Senator Cassidy, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, David. Thank you for having me.
0: So can I ask you for a second, it's my pleasure, sir, to take off your senator hat for just a moment and put on your doctor hat. As someone with that kind of medical training, what goes through your mind when you think about Getting on a plane, coming to Washington, going back to work, is this all a good idea right
1: now? Everything is a risk benefit, if you will. If you're willing to wear a mask, if you're willing to wash hands, if you're willing to like, you know, wash hands like, compulsively, and if you're willing to maintain social distancing with uh, skeleton crew at most at work, I think it can be done safely. Uh, but you have to be careful. I tell folks, I, uh, you know, I'm a gastroenterologist, so I jokingly say, I wash my hands like I was doing a colonoscopy and suddenly realized I had a, a, a hole in my glove. And so that's how frequently and how carefully you must wash your hands. If we do that, I think we can do so safely.
0: Uh, That's quite the vivid image. Thank you uh, for that. Um, You uh, heard Leader McConnell say earlier that uh, if other frontline workers have to show up, then the Senate should too. You had just said a skeleton staff. Uh, And I'm wondering, can the Senate operate with a skeletal staff? And can the Senate conduct its business with the kind of social distancing that you say is still very much required, even as you sort of return to work?
1: I think it can. And when I say skeletal staff, it doesn't mean people aren't working. In my office, they'll be telecommuting. And we've become quite effective at communicating throughout the day um, uh, and having regular meetings so that we can get work done. Now, one thing different, though, is that in a normal Senate, there's always people coming to visit. A group of 20 might come to visit, a group of 10, a group of three. And you'll sit down with your staff and meet with them. Those meetings will not occur. They will take place by Zoom. Uh, What will occur, though, is that senators will be able to kind of see each other and have a better sense as a group of what thoughts are. There is a lot to be gained by face-to-face interaction, even if you're wearing a mask when you have that face-to-face.
0: Couldn't agree more. I I take your point. We're all, listen, I'm podcasting from home right now. We're all doing our, our work from home. But do you envision at least some staff to join you when
1: you go back to Washington to work? So if you can maintain six or eight feet between you and your coworker, then it works. So I've told my staff, there'll be some people who need to come in. They've got essential records. So I've told my scheduler and her assistant, I, I, you just need to have a, a plan. There should always be at least six, pe- six feet between people. So folks in adjacent cubicles or people whose are to each other should not be there at the same time. So we're going to have a pattern, a schedule by which people who must come in, come in, but are still able to maintain social distancing. It just takes some forethought, but yes, it can be done.
0: And what about having temperatures checked before entering the Capitol complex? What do you think about that?
1: As a physician, I'm so aware that asymptomatic people, those who do not have a fever can still communicate disease. So I'm not opposed to it, but that's not where I draw my security from. You can have no symptoms whatsoever and still spread. Many people who work on Capitol Hill are less than 30. And if you're less than 30, you're almost at zero risk of having a problem from uh, a significant problem from COVID-19. But you can still be infected. You can still infect other people. My only concern is checking temperatures is a false sense of security. We should assume that everyone we meet is infected unless they can tell us they've been previously exposed, now have recovered, and therefore most likely are immune. If they can't tell me that, I assume they're infected.
0: Mm. Um, Senator Cassidy, I'm sure you've been seeing the debate happening across uh, the other side of the Capitol in the House about this notion of remote voting or might there be proxy voting ways in which the elected representatives of the American people can conduct their business uh, like many Americans are having to do from a remote fashion. Do you think that that is something the Senate should explore, can explore? Uh, would you advocate for
1: changing the way right now in, uh, that you all vote in the Senate? So at one point, I thought we should consider that, but I do think a lot is lost by not meeting face-to-face. So yes, let me answer more directly. We could vote remotely. I could stay in my office and call in the vote. And so voting remotely would be, you know, we could do that. But on the other hand, it's more difficult to have hearings uh, if you're not at least somehow in in the room. It's more difficult to get four people together on the fly, if you will, because somebody had a great idea, but two other people are involved, and you want one more person because they have a special perspective, that's more difficult to do by Zoom. And so so whereas, yes, voting could take place by telephone, the meetings that I think are important, it'd be more difficult to do so. Uh, I'm giving you a little bit of a mixed message, but this is a little bit of a nuanced issue.
0: That's it certainly is that I want to turn to uh, the overall response and some of the things President Trump has said yesterday. He said he was not going to take any responsibility for the spike of people in places like Maryland ingesting disinfectants after the president suggested or mused about that it could possibly be used to treat the virus. He said he was being sarcastic. Does he bear any responsibility for seeing an uptick like that? And again, as a doctor, when you heard the president say that, what
1: went through your mind? Well, you know. I agree with Dr. Burks, people don't use it therapeutically, but at some point you have to rely upon common sense. The president, in retrospect, I'm sure wishes that he had not said it. But on the other hand, we also have to rely upon common sense upon the people who hear. And so there's a mutual responsibility uh, when it comes to a person's health. I've always told patients, you are your best champion. You're the one who is most responsible. And so if you hear something which you're not sure about, you need to investigate and not do it no matter what the source is, unless you feel comfortable where that is. I used to encourage my patients to get second opinions. I frankly thought I was right in the information I was telling them, but it's their health, not mine. And so whatever you do, you are your own champion. You're the person who bears the most responsibility. That's true no matter what we're talking about. Losing weight, exercising, stretching, or the advice we hear on TV, I continue to tell that to people.
0: That's good advice, and I think you're being very generous saying the president probably regrets saying it. He certainly hasn't said that. He said he was just being sarcastic, but he is the president of the United States, and I take your point. Everyone has personal responsibility, but you know how people listen to the president, Uh, especially we know how some of his ardent followers listen to him at the expense of everything else. So passing on information like that and then seeing an uptick in this, I mean, it's not a crazy thing to draw a connection between the two, right?
1: One, I I did not read that uh, more people were ingested in Maryland, but all I can say is that, you know, as a physician, when a doctor gives me advice, I'm going to first check it out before I accept it, unless I've really learned to trust that doctor. If it's not a physician, I'm going to really learn to check it out before I take the advice, uh, unless they've somehow established. And it's going to be hard for a non-physician to establish to me that they know more than doctors do. So that's just my own perspective.
0: OK, let's turn to your bill that would give $500 billion to state and local governments in a rescue fund. Leader McConnell and other Republicans had sort of been dead set against this against this for a while. But then yesterday, Senator McConnell changed his tune, saying that funding for localities and states would indeed be part of the next proposal. Is he on board with your plan now?
1: I don't know if he's on board with my plan, but it just makes total sense. Uh, if we're going to support small businesses and family – And that means we must also support the government services, which support them. If you're a restaurant and we've just given you tens of thousands of dollars so you can keep your doors open to keep people employed, but then they don't have fire or police or sanitation, and so garbage builds up in front of their door and rats are running around in the garbage, no one's going to come in that restaurant. They're going bankrupt. Now let's just back up a little bit. If you're the city that relies upon tourism, hotel bed tax, sales tax, in order to pay that sanitation worker, fire department, and police, and you have no money because you have a federally encouraged economic shutdown, well then, guess what? Just keep just connect the dots. Uh, those people are going to be unemployed because the restaurant's out of business, because the garbage and the rats are on the front door, because the city can't afford to pay the sanitation, because they've lost their tax revenue. This is about supporting families and small businesses with the government services they need to prosper.
0: Let's talk about your home state of Louisiana, where uh, Governor John Bel Edwards announced yesterday he's extending the stay-at-home order for Louisiana until May 15th. Uh, I think he eased some of the restrictions there, but Louisiana remains one of the hardest-hit states, over 27,000 cases, 1,500 deaths. In this uh, battle to get the economy going again and re-engaging uh, society in some ways uh, versus the needing to do what is necessary to make sure that that reopening of society happens safely. As you know, the White House had put out these sort of guidelines in phases. Uh, phase one required two weeks, 14 days of, de- of decline in, in the numbers of cases. And Governor Edwards, he hasn't seen that yet and and said that's part of the reason why he has to extend this until May 15th. What do you make of those new guidelines at at home there in
1: Louisiana? I view this as a public health war, meaning that that virus is fighting against us and we need to marshal our resources where it is flaring up the most. Now, my approach would be to go to those areas uh, that we, those neighborhoods, if you will, that we know have the most cases, hotspots within hotspots. To put a point on it, all of the greater New Orleans area is not having the same problem as just a few census tracts are. And those few census tracts are where more cases, two to three to four times more cases are occurring than the rest of the city. Indeed, within those census tracts, there are neighborhoods and even buildings where there are 10 times more cases than the rest of the city. We should target our testing even on a door-to-door apartment to apartment strategy, to test proactively, to come back for those folks who test positively, take the money that Congress has given the state and put people in quarantine with all the support they need for 14 days, the food, the medical, pay for the room, et cetera, so that they do not spread it to others and that we can monitor their health. When you do that, you shut down transmission much more effectively, you lower your rate and you can speed up the opening of your economy. It is a targeted, information-driven approach. That's what I'm advocating for everybody. So you think... Targeting testing is more important than just the aggregate
0: percentage we're hearing, you know, is 2% of the population enough to get a test or 3%. This notion of targeting, you think, trumps that uh, conversation of the aggregate
1: total amount of tests that the country needs to see in order to open safely? Absolutely. You can see some counties in which there's hardly any cases at all. Uh, Just the virus is not there. And then there's cities where there's a lot. But within that city, there are neighborhoods in which there are a lot. And so why not target the neighborhood? Because by quarantining those who are positive in the place where, you know, more people are positive than any place else in your city, you're going to more rapidly shut down the spread. That has to be data driven. Let me give you an example. And I don't want you to take this out of context. One thing, a reportable disease, venereal diseases are reportable, say syphilis. Now, obviously, it's easier to track a contact of somebody who might have syphilis than it is a coronavirus. But you don't test everybody for syphilis. You test the people who have had contact with the one case that you know has had syphilis. Now, by the way, I'm only using, I'm not comparing coronavirus and syphilis. I understand. You're clearly not comparing the two. Except in so far, contact tracing. You don't test everybody. You test the people in the neighborhood, in the bar, or the people they can tell you that I actually had physical relations with. Now, when it comes to coronavirus, if you know you've got a hot spot in this neighborhood, well, it doesn't really matter if you're testing a, a county or a parish 100 miles away. What really matters, are you checking everybody in that neighborhood? And since we know there's a lot of asymptomatic carriers, I personally think you should be checking everybody in that neighborhood, not just the people with symptoms. And as you check everybody in that neighborhood, then you're gonna find out who's positive, you quarantine, who's negative, and that really gives you your baseline that you're most concerned about. Of those at risk, what is the current rate of spread from those who are currently positive? Uh, I think that focused targeting is what we do in public health, we should be applying it to novel coronavirus.
0: And just quickly before you go, are
1: we set up as a country right now to do what you're describing at this moment? We have information systems that we commonly use for other things. Whether it is the flu registry, whether it is report, we have 120 different reportable diseases. Uh, Novel coronavirus is one of them. I just mentioned another. We have immunization registries that when a child is vaccinated at birth, It's put into this registry. When she goes to college 25 years later, they go online, pull down the fact that she was vaccinated for measles at birth. Uh, We track that. We have privacy laws that protect it. They're robust. They've been in place for decades. Everyone's comfortable with them. We should be using these exact same systems to be following the coronavirus.
0: Senator Cassidy, I thank you so much for your time. And of course, I wish you, your family, the people of Louisiana uh, safety and good health in the days ahead. Hey, thank you, David. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag #TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you
1: tomorrow.